0: Amen, well on this first Sunday of 2024 we are going to continue our series in the book of Ecclesiastes and I think we're going to start off here with a topic that uh, is actually fairly relevant at any time but also first Sunday of the year as we think about our dreams and our ambitions and our desires and our hopes what we're shooting for and that is the topic of what do you think? Wealth. Wealth. Money. Money. I want to preach you this morning on the title, Money, a Terrible God. Money, a Terrible God. Before we get into my sermon, I want to found our sermon in God's Word, and so therefore let's read God's Word together. We're going to read verse 8 of chapter 5 in Ecclesiastes through verse 12 of chapter 6. Ecclesiastes 5.8 through Ecclesiastes 6.12. When you are there, please stand with me as we read. Ecclesiastes 5.8 through Ecclesiastes 6:12 and it says this If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of injustice and righteousness do not be amazed at this matter for the high official is watched by a higher official and there are yet higher ones over them but this is gain for every uh, for a land in every way a king committed to cultivate There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came. And shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away with his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, he shall go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and hunger. (coughs) Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink, And find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun. The few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should should live a thousand years twice over and enjoy no good, do not all go to one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have? Who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And What advantage? What is the advantage to man? For who knows what a good For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? This is the Word of God, and I'm going to preach, Lord willing, on this passage, and I'm titling this sermon, Money, a Terrible God, would you pray again with me one more time? Father, we ask that you help us as we study this text. Help me to speak your truths, not merely my ideas, that you would open our hearts and shape us and fashion us according to the likeness of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was traveling this last week and I stopped at a Sheets for lunch. And there was a sign advertising their new flatbread pizza. Uh, I've got the sign on my phone. I can show it to you to prove it if you don't believe me. <laughs> the sign read Yes, you can buy happiness. Three ninety nine, flatbread pizza. I thought, I'm, I'm going to test this. And so I, like the preacher in Ecclesiastes, tested everything under the sun, and I tried this flatbread pizza, and I discovered that the advertisement was a lie. <laughs> False advertisement, everybody. It was, if you work for Sheets, I apologize, but it was the worst pizza I've ever had in my life. I should have known gas station pizza. Listen. Can you buy happiness? Before you say no, I want you to really think about whether or not you live as if you can't buy happiness. <laughs> you see, see what I'm saying? Because we all know the right answer to that. But do we really believe that? Can you buy Happiness. Well, here's the thing, and the answer is no to that. Why? Well, you can have all kinds of things that happiness will afford you, all kinds of possessions, and you may know people who have all the possessions that, that you can imagine, yet they're not happy. You see, just because you have money and just because you have possessions doesn't guarantee that you're going to be happy. Here's the thing in order to enjoy what you have. You have to have the power to enjoy it. And that power comes from God. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 2. He says, A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet, what does it say? God does not give him power. To enjoy. This is vanity. I want to spend a few minutes today looking at the subject of wealth, its origin, its limitations, and how to enjoy it. But I want to begin with that question, is money your God? Or is God the God of your money? You see, society calls us to worship wealth, with influencers on social media parading themselves in exotic destinations, driving fancy cars, flashing cash, ads in the new year promising that if you spend money that you will find happiness from one pleasure to the next. The rich in this world presented as gods. And we tend to believe that the rich are, in some fashion, actually better than we are. That we are, in some way, inferior because of our bank accounts. We wrongly view money not merely as a means to meet our needs, but as a means to meet our ego to prove our worth to others if not just simply to ourselves if someone makes twice as much as you and you feel inferior money is controlling your identity if you are making good money and you've got the nicest shoes the nicest swag, drive a nice car, and you feel, as a result, superior to the person who doesn't, you are worshiping money. And there's a more primitive reason as to why worship, or wealth, rather, demands our worship. And that is because of our survival, our need to survive everything from our warmth our lodging to our clothes to our transport to even our ability to have a vast number of social relationships requires money we live in a cash society and we need money to survive therefore money in many ways, is about our life preservation. We then look to money to find, here's the big word, security. Security. I just want enough money to have security. It's about life preservation. And therefore, since we look to money for security, Money begs to be God. But money is a terrible God. And so if you are worshipping wealth today, or even the concept of it, I want to free you from a God that is a terrible God. And I want to show you a God that you can treasure, that will actually... Well, I'm, going to save, I'm going to save my application. Hold off, hold off. I'm going to start preaching too quick here. Let me explain first how money is a terrible God. I'm going to give you six reasons from the text. Number one, money is a terrible God because loving money cannot satisfy. Money is a terrible God because loving money cannot satisfy. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. It says, he who loves, somebody say loves, he who loves money, will not be satisfied with money, for nor he who, what's the word? Loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Love. That word love is the key word there. Meaning, a Christian can certainly be satisfied with the amount of money that they have. But if you love money, see the difference? All through the Bible, through the New Testament, is a common theme, do Not love money. The love of money is the root of all evil. To love money is to cherish it. To love money is to see money or the ability to acquire money as supreme. Like Gollum in The Lord of the Rings, My Precious. And what happens is he becomes consumed by it. uh, Money, the love of money, the all-consuming dollar. And it transforms who you actually are. It becomes my precious that I need and I find my identity and my worth and everything I am in this money. When you love money, you trust money. When you love money, you find your worth in money when you love money you find your security in money when you love money money becomes an obsession and it's a god that will never satisfy he who loves money will not be satisfied with money the same theme is repeated in chapter 6 verses 7 through 9 he repeats this theme in terms of the wise man or the fool. Is there any difference, he says, between the wise and the fool? They each, in various ways, toil for money, but he says it's all vanity. The poor man, he says, lives a better life than the foolish rich man, yet he doesn't get paid for it. Whereas the rich gets everything that they need, yet they're never satisfied with it. Look at verse 6. Uh, chapter 6, verse 7, he says, all the toil of man is for his mouth. He's working for his mouth. He's working to satisfy what he desires and longs and craves. Yet, it says, his appetite is not satisfied. It does not satisfy his appetite. There's something about the God of money which says more, more, more more. It is a myth that you can arrive at some kind of salary while you love money and be comfortable. Right. Because I hear that all the time, you know, people that love money. They're chasing the dollar. They're working constantly. They're just trying to make more and more and more. All they can do is see money. And you know what they always say to me? I just, I just want to be comfortable. Sorry, I just had something floating in my face. They say, I just want to be comfortable. That's a myth. If you love money, you can never be comfortable with money. There is an inner need that we have for security and identity, and you can never get enough money to comfort that inner need of security and identity. Are you with me? The actor Jim Carrey, who certainly arrived at wonderful amounts of success who has dealt with depression, once said this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Well, what is the answer? Let's continue on. Number two, money is a terrible God because money increases your problems. So instead of taking away your problems, money actually increases problems look at verse 11 and before i read it let me just say this really quick money can solve some problems the most vulnerable in our society the most vulnerable in our church can actually have some problems in their life that can be solved with some money money can solve some problems of like i don't have any food to eat today money can solve some problems of BGE's cutting off my 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 electricity and i'm going to be cold There there are problems that money can solve, yet don't believe that the increase of money or wealth means that we have no problems. It brings its own problems with it. And that's what verse 11 is getting at. It says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Meaning, when, when you get more and more goods, all of a sudden you're looking around and the number of people who want to eat your goods seem to be increasing. That's what he's saying. And what advantage has their owner? Me. But just to see them with their eyes as they're going to everybody else. That's what he's saying. Now this proverb would have rang true with Rosa Grayson, who won the state lottery and had so many people banging on her door trying to sneak around, trying to get at her money. She said that she had to hide her money in her apartment, and it was the first time in her life she ever felt anxiety. This proverb would have rang true with the McGuggerts of New York who won the Irish sweepstakes. They, prior to becoming wealthy, they were a happy family. Pop was a steam fitter. Johnny worked on the docks. Tim was in school, and everything changed when they won the sweepstakes. They split the money And a year later, the boys weren't speaking with their father. John was spending all of his money racing horses. Tim was spending all of his money chasing women. Uh, The mother was accusing Pop of hiding things. It destroyed their family. The mother said, this is the devil's own money. A happy, poor family wrecked. By cash. As Biggie said, more money, more problems. It's true. In verse 11 those who eat them, the number increases. Money suckers, more dependents, people trying to get things from you. People who, I would put it like this people who love you only because of what you can give them not because of who you are. You know, some wealthy, famous people don't even know who their friends are. And this ends with divisions and drama and loss. And some, I've seen this in our own neighborhood with lead lead poisoning lawsuits that have been won. Like, in our neighborhood, I'm talking Drew Heights and Upton, we've had hundreds and thousands of dollars flow into this neighborhood from lead, lead suits. Where is it? (laughs) Where is it? I'll tell you what, there's bodies because of it. I know a guy personally who took his lead money, bought a bunch of cars, tried to start a car business. A year later, he was dead because of transactions that didn't go well with his cars. Isn't that crazy? Money. Comes with its own problems. Number three. Money is a terrible God because... Money increases worry. Verse 12, he says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Meaning, unlike the new worries of Rosa Grayson or the family dramas of the MacGuggards, he's saying the working class laborer sleeps well at night. Whether he eats a lot that day or whether he doesn't have much and he only eats a little bit. He is so tired from working that day, and his heart is so full of contributing to society in some small fashion that he has peace and he sleeps at night. Unlike the rich who can't sleep because of his belly, meaning he has gorged himself, he's filled his belly. This, this could perhaps refer to health problems that are coming as a result of the way that he's eating or, or the way that he's not working or doing anything with his body. It could, ma- it could possibly refer to uh, uh, a la- too much energy. You know, if you, I don't know if you felt this over the holidays, but you don't do anything all day and it's hard to sleep at night. You know, imagine if that was your life. Or perhaps he's worried. He can't sleep at night because, my, go- my, my goodness, the, the, the more increase, the more there is to worry about. The more you have, the more you worry. Does having more eliminate your worries? You see, this is like another myth. We think, man, if I just have more money and more things, I'll have less to worry about. And Ecclesiastes is like giving us a totally different perspective on this and saying, don't, don't, you know, don't think that... that having money is going to eliminate it's going to be a whole new layer of worries a whole new layer of anxieties that's what he's saying a positive application to this verse would be that of generosity and simplicity meaning just because you might make an additional ten thousand dollars in 2024 praise god for that if that's your situation but don't think that your lifestyle must increase by $10,000. What can increase, and for, for some, you, you really do need to increase some things to live. Maybe you need to put away some for retirement, some savings, uh, maybe for a car or something like that. That's good. You know, use your money to meet your needs now. Use your money to save some. You know, meet with a financial advisor and put some away for retirement and, and save some to help meet your old version <laughs> self. Uh, 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 your needs but here's the thing as money increases it is not just an increase of our lifestyle that's merely going to increase our worries more things to worry about the application would be this be generous seek to live simply seek to live within your means seek to meet your needs and live simply and generously I love the I wish I could give you his name but he, he gave these gifts anonymously but I can tell you about him. So when we were raising money for this building, we had one donor give $220,000. Now, do you think he lives a flashy lifestyle? I've known the guy for a while, and I didn't even know he had any money. He lives a simple lifestyle. Like, he's regular. He's really very regular. And I met with him, and... He was like, tell me, you know, tell me about the, the roof problem that you guys have. I was like, yeah, we still need to raise like $105,000 to put a new roof on. Pulls out his personal checkbook, 105000. I'm like, what? He calls me up a little later, hey, how much do you guys still need to meet your goal? We need another 120000 He's He was like, all right, I'll put a check in the mail tomorrow. $120,000 check shows up. He lives right, ra- and here's the thing as i've gotten to know him what i've re- and i've talked to other guys what i've realized is we're not the only church he does that for like he has done this for like a lot of my friends churches he he just he acquires money because he's got a good job he lives simply and he just is generous it's a good application here how do we tell money you don't own me How do we tell money, you are not my God? How do we sleep at night? What better way to tell money that you do not control me by simply giving some of it away? And even if you don't make much money, there is a principle in the Scriptures of setting aside a portion of your income for the work of God. And even if you only have a little, you can tell your money, you don't own me. And let me show you how. Let me me show you just how much you don't own me. I'm going to give you away. It does something to your heart. You worry less. You realize God is in control. All right, number four. Money is a terrible God because money slips away. Money slips away. Look at verse 13 and 14 of chapter 5. He says, there is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by the owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. He is the father of a son. Making things worse. He's got a dependent. There's 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 a child in the picture. There's someone else there. And this is a man who he started with nothing and he acquired so much. And then he had one bad business venture and lost everything. What a shame and he's got nothing in his hand. Verse 15, As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and in much vexation and sickness and anger. This preacher now is sharing a reason as to why money cannot satisfy. He's saying, "Look, money is a terrible god because it won't satisfy you because it increases problems. Money's a terrible god because it increases your worries." Now he he's giving us a reason. And it's because money has a tendency to slip away like sand. Through your fingers, holding a bunch of sand. It's just gone. In this case, a bad business venture. His, he lived his, uh, 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 the rest of his life in this darkness, meaning he was probably a happy poor man at one time. And now he's back to his original state. After having had, he has lost. He put his hope in what he had. He was hoarding it and keeping it. It's now gone. And he ends miserable it slips away I wonder if anybody here has noticed just how quickly money slips away I mean you get like this nice fat tax return you're like I know exactly what I'm going to I'm going to write a list all these things I'm going to do with that money and you get like three points down your list and it's gone you're like where did it go that's important you're arguing with your spouse where did the money go how do we spend it all and you pull up the bank statement and you're like oh <laughs> i see <laughs> yeah it adds up money we, we money has a tendency to just slip away even if you're good with the books it's amazing how quickly your money goes but even beyond us spending money there is no way that we can fully secure our money I mean, even in our whole system of, of uh, uh, security in this world of, of 401ks and savings accounts. I mean, even that is not really secure. All everything could be lost. So money cannot be secured, and you're looking to money for your what? Security. And so it makes a terrible god because it just slips away. Money is a terrible god. Number five money is a terrible God, because money doesn't make it through death. Here in this story that I just read, the man dies, and it says, what a tragedy, naked as he came, meaning he had so much wealth, yet he's going out of this world with nothing. Imagine if you cherished money, and you saved up somehow millions of dollars, And you're putting all of that into a retirement. And at 65 years old, you got millions of dollars saved up. You spent your whole life getting to this point. And then at 65 years old, you die. None of that goes with you. Naked as you came. It doesn't pass through death. Money is a terrible God because it cannot satisfy. Money increases problems. Money increases worries. Money slips away. Money doesn't make it through death. And lastly, number six, money is a terrible God because money doesn't give us the power to enjoy it. Two examples are given in chapter six of this. First example is in verse one and three of chapter six, where a man has been given everything by God, and it says that he has no needs. He lacks nothing. Nothing. Yet, God does not give him the power to enjoy them. Yet a stranger enjoys them. Just as your new toy comes with batteries, you expected money to come with the ability to enjoy, enjoy it. But like an upset kid on Christmas morning who got a remote control car and unpacked it and was so excited, yet there were no batteries. Such is the case with money. We thought that just getting an extra dollar would somehow make me happy, but there was no power in the dollar to make me happy. I had no ability to even enjoy the nice things that I was able to get with it. The second example is in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 6. Here he says, you know, imagine there's a man, he's clearly using exaggerations here, there's a man who has a hundred children. And he lives 2,000 years. Yet all of his days he's miserable. What he's saying is, is, man, he's got everything. He's got this big family. He's got 100 kids. He's lived a long life. Yet by the end of his life, there's not even someone to bury him. He's been that miserable of a human being. He's saying he would have been better to have not been born at all. The stillborn baby at least has rest, he says. Verse 6, he says, even though he should live a... 2,000 uh, years, twice. Yet, he enjoys no good. Family, what he's saying is this. You could have all, but not an ounce of happiness. The most miserable people on this earth are not poor people, but they are rich people who love money, and have set their sights on money. Or you could say poor people who love money and have set their sights on money. These are the most miserable people, and you can look around society and see it. Like, I don't even have to convince you. you you've seen this with your own eyes. But maybe someone would argue against me, and they might say, no, Joel, this is ridiculous. I actually know plenty of godless, rich Happy people. And I would answer you and come back and say, well, wait a second. Is their soul satisfied? Are they truly satisfied in what they have? Are they not in need of another thing to make them happy? Can they, here's the, here's the big question, can they lose it and still be preserved in their joy? Will their money be with them and help them on that day they stand before God? And so I put my heels in the sand and I say, no, I think I'm right. Money cannot provide satisfaction and happiness. While some may even godless people may have some ability to enjoy the what they have. They are utterly unable to worship money and be truly happy because of the fear of loss, because of their envy of others, because of their desire for more. Yes, to all of that, but there is even a greater, more, providential and spiritual dimension as to why people cannot be satisfied with money. And it is because God has not given them the power to enjoy. Even our ability to enjoy comes from God. This entire section, I'm just going to briefly hit this because we're almost out of time. This entire section here is capped by the limitations of human beings. So if you look at chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, He's basically saying here that we live in this fallen world where there is oppression to and through. All the way to the top, there is oppression. And you can do nothing about it. Oh, uh, what's great for all society is a king who, who cares about cultivated fields, meaning a king that rightly uh, cares for all the people in the land. But we're, we're, he's showing us the world as it is. You can do nothing about it. And then at the end of our section today, in chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, What he says here is that all things come from God. And then in verse 12, we're left with what theologians call a double double bewilderment. He asks two questions in verse 12. He says, What is good and what will be? We do not know. Meaning, there are no absolute values under the sun. Under the sun, we have no clear direction for the future. His point is this. Humans without God are utterly helpless, vulnerable, and limited. Let me say that again. Humans without God are utterly helpless, vulnerable, and limited. And wealth, which is I think the greatest God humans can conjure up, wealth is vanity. What's our solution then? If you think of this whole passage as outlined in this way, imagine two deserts side by side with a lush mountain right in the middle. All right, The first desert is chapter 5, and the second desert is chapter 6. The lush mountain in the middle is chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. What he's doing here is he's taking us right in the middle, he's taking us up this mountain and showing us what it looks like to actually allow the vertical, to see the vertical crash into the horizontal. Verse 18, he says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat, drink, and find enjoyment. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. What is so lush about this? What is lush is we are moving from just simply under the sun, the horizontal reality, and now he's saying, let's imagine what money is like, or wealth, or having things, possessions. What is it like with God? What is it like when the vertical crashes into the horizontal? Now, what we learn here is a couple things. One, wealth is not necessarily bad. Having things is not necessarily bad, but it's dangerous because it can tempt you to worship it, and that's a siren song to your own death. But he's also saying that poverty is not necessarily good. Meaning, uh, the, the preacher's goal then as an application to this sermon is not that we all go out and seek to be poor. And as a matter of fact, biblically, Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. We should not neglect the poor in our work and in our love. And we should seek to help the poor out of poverty if and when possible. The issue here is bigger than both of those. The issue is this. Do you have the power to enjoy what God has given you? Whatever he's given you, whether it's a lot or a little, has God given you the power to enjoy it? He says, what's good is to enjoy what God has given you. Isn't that a wonderful application? Think of the gifts that you already have in your life. Now, how do we do this? Our part, God's part, is to give us the power to enjoy. Our part to play is to accept our lot, is what he says. To accept our lot and I don't mean that in a negative way you like, we often use that like oh just accept your lot in life That's that's a negative way of saying it. He means this positively meaning God has given us an allotment of, of what we physically Have right now maybe tomorrow. He'll give you more Maybe tomorrow. He'll give you less, but right now God has given you an allotment of money and things and what he's saying is, is that the freedom to enjoy it is to accept what God has given you. A.K.A., listen to this, trust. To trust God with what you have. Two words of application here. Number one, never forget where your gifts come from. Never forget where your gifts come from. And number two, contentment then, is to recognize that God has already given you everything you need right now. All the pieces for your life that need to go together to create the picture of your life that God wants you to live has already been given to you in this moment. As an uh, an illustration of this, I was doing a 500-piece puzzle a couple months ago and I uh, was working on it, and Isaiah was working on it with me and some, some of my kids, and we're just like staring at this puzzle, and I'm, I'm like, for hours looking for certain pieces. I'm like practically banging my head on the table, so frustrated, because I'm like, a, I'm like one of these guys that has to see something through to the end. And I can't walk away from this puzzle. You know what I'm saying? And I, I'm looking at, I'm like, my eyes are literally going crossed, and I'm like, am I crazy? There's, I don't see the pieces that I need. So finally, after I was the only one left working on this puzzle, finally I counted the pieces. Remember, it was a 500-piece puzzle. There was 482 pieces, and it was a used puzzle. Somebody gave me. <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but when I remember, I'm going to find them. <laughs> Listen, I was missing 18 pieces. You can't do a 500, put, you can't put the picture together if you're missing 18 pieces. And here's what I want to say, is that some of you are so frustrated because you have this picture of what you think your life should be And you're banging your head against the table and you're discontent and you're angry and you're sad and you're depressed because you can't find the pieces to put the puzzle together. And what I'm telling you is that God hasn't given you the pieces. And as a result of you focusing on what you think this thing should look like, you can't actually enjoy the picture that God has given you. Don't you understand? It's about trusting God. It's about trusting God. It's about trusting that God has given me my pieces of life. God has given me my ability to live life. I just watched uh, Tubman, the Harriet Tubman movie for the first time. I don't know why it took me so long to watch it. And one thing I thought of as I was watching this was that you know uh, Harriet Tubman loved her family to such a degree that she went back in to rescue her family members, right? Now, some of us want that kind of greatness. Some of us want to be a Harriet Tubman of our generation. And we are so focused on trying to be great that we are ignoring our families. Like, don't you understand that what made her great was understanding the moment that God had given her? She wasn't trying to be great. She was driven by love. And she was trusting God every step and every moment of the way. Does that make sense? I hope it does because that was an analogy that just popped in my head. My point is this. We have to trust God with the time and the moments and the opportunities that we are given. And that's where happiness is. That's how we can enjoy what God has given us. That's how we can enjoy the life that God was given us. Oh, let us not become like Gomer who was cheating on her husband Hosea and she was sleeping in another man's house and the picture we get in my sanctified imagination as the preachers say is that Hosea was peering in through the windows and looking at Gomer. And what he saw was that she was cold, lying on the floor with nothing and no food in the house. And so Hosea is leaving gifts on the doorstep. He's leaving her warm clothing and he's leaving her food. And then her lover goes to the door in the morning and he opens up the door and he picks these things up and he gives them to her. And she goes out into the streets and she says, Oh, look at what my lover has given me. He keeps me warm at night. He gives me food to eat. He even gives me oil for my face. And Hosea says, does she not know that it was I who gave her these things? You see, we credit our lovers for the gifts that God has given us. We say, oh, look at the happiness that my money has brought me. Look at the joy that these possessions have brought me. Look at what my work ethic gave me. Look at what my diligence gave me. Look at what my brain was able to produce and do for me and for others. And God says, they do not know that it was I who gave them these things. Look, most of the good in your life, literally, literally, was outside of your control. Like think about it, where you're at in life, whatever you're happy with, most of that came totally outside of your control. It was an opportunity that you had, it was a mentor that you had, that you were given, it was a job, it was a family that you were put into, it was an intellect, it was was an idea that came out of nowhere. You see, God is the giver of every good thing. Freedom is trusting God with what we have, recognizing him as the giver, and then enjoying it. And and here's the thing. This is the big turn for us. Our treasure then is not the gift, but the giver. Are you with me? Our solution looks like rejoicing in verse 20. Verse 20 says, God keeps me occupied with joy in my heart. If you worship wealth, you will not find joy, but God keeps me occupied with joy in my heart. A rich man came to Jesus and asked Him, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Sell all of your riches and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. You see, the issue with the rich man was that he was worshiping his wealth. And Jesus knew that the only way that he could follow him is if he walked away from his gods and followed Christ and Christ alone. And the, the, the climax of the story then leads us to this question. What will he do? Will he walk away from the worship of wealth and walk with Jesus? Or will he reject Jesus and keep all of the things of this world? And the text tells us that the man walked away with sorrow. He had everything. He had wealth. He had all of the possessions. He had every need met. And he was sad. And that was the lot of his life. I wonder if anyone knows that God is for your joy. You see, the reason worship of wealth is prohibited is because God is for your joy. This story as a whole here is not about money, but it's about the infinitely surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For money did not die on the cross for your sins. Money can do nothing about your shame and guilt. Christ came and entered the fight, the true fight for our dignity and for our value and for our worth. And he died for our sins and made us right with God. What was it then that the earliest Christians rejoiced in? It wasn't their possessions, but it was a person. It was the person of Jesus Christ. God came to a poor young virgin. And she cries out, Oh, my spirit rejoices in God. You see, God is for your joy. The prodigal squanders everything, like many of us, throwing it all away, chasing after our sin, and then he comes home to the Father. What does the Father do? A celebration of joy. The return of the prodigal. God is for your joy. Somebody say, Amen. Because of Christ, Paul exhorts us in Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, even when you go through trials, even when you lose everything in this world, he says, we can rejoice with an indescribable joy. And why? It's because of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. One day, Jesus is coming again and Revelation chapter 19 verse 7 puts it like this let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come you see what we are looking forward to is the union the union with our greatest treasure and that is Jesus Christ and that day is our greatest joy why it's because Jesus is the pearl of great price jesus is the treasure in the field jesus is the image of the invisible god jesus is the lamb without blemish jesus is the resurrection and the life jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith your money will end at your death but jesus broke through death the richest today spend millions if not billions on research as to how they might extend their life just a few years but the morning he rose from the dead the grave opened forever the lamb conquered death oh so money makes a terrible God money does not satisfy money increases problems money increases worry money slips away money doesn't make it through death money doesn't give me the power to enjoy life yet i have a god that satisfies i have a god who takes care of my problems i have a god who calms my worries i have a god who never slips away i have a god who conquered death i have a god who will bring me through death and i have a god who gives me all Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. In other words, some trust in money. Some trust in wads of cash. Some trust in earthly possessions. But we, let me hear you say it, but we trust in the name of God the lord our god let's pray father we thank you we thank god for jesus christ our greatest treasure god point us to jesus right now fill us with his love remind us of his grace transform us by the power of the holy spirit it's in jesus name amen